Nomai Hairemai, and welcome to the Reviving Hope podcast. I'm your host, Bronnie Tressler, and this is a place to find Christian hope for mental health challenges. In part one of this conversation, Lucy shared how, as a young woman, she was diagnosed with bipolar. She has worked at making a great recovery. This episode, Lucy tells me how she is using her lived experience of mental illness to help others. I think it's, yeah, really remarkable. Um, You know, it's been, I know, almost 15 years of working in mental health addictions Mm -hmm. area with mostly women Mm -hmm. and youth. Mm -hmm. And um, I just thought it'd be great to, you know, for people to hear more about what you do and um, particularly what your research for your PhD is about. Could you tell me more about what you're doing now and about your research for your PhD? Sure. Um, So in my work at the moment, I'm just working with people with complex mental health needs and um, working with them um, in the education system to be able to um, navigate what's going on for them, those big feelings and learning about their mental health and what works for them. Um, the research that I'm doing, like you say, is around women with bipolar and it's a post-qualitative inquiry using a new materialist framework. That sounds jargony. (laughs) (laughs) And what that means is that it's just dedicated to exploring new possibilities and finding new knowledge about women with bipolar. Currently, the literature and statistics around women with bipolar is quite deficit focused Um, and reveals poor social outcomes for women and life expectancy and suicide rates. Mm. So my research is around flipping that script for women with bipolar and recognising how engagement with psychiatric services in New Zealand affects our identities. So to explore this topic, I'm using photography and collaborative art project to learn about our identities and how they're formed and specifically through engaging with all of the stuff and objects and things which are identifiable only to women with bipolar as we have interacted with um, services. And I'm also cruising around all the spaces in New Zealand where historic lunatic asylums, that's what they were called, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, operated to explore how the past is entangled in our present identities with bipolar. So um, that's been very interesting. And alongside that, I'm looking at the Lunatics Act, which was um, like similar to our Mental Health Act now. And I'm comparing the kind of, well, not comparing, but just looking at the differences between um, the current legislation and the past legislation. Mm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Fascinating. It sounds like a lot. (laughs) Well, it is a lot of work. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Yes. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Is there anything, anything? sort of so far that um, has, you've found that you stood out to you that you well I, I was uh, to be uh, when engaging with the literature it is disappointing just to see how women are represented in the literature so that I definitely want to um, challenge because as you know there are so many awesome wahine in New Zealand that are you know amazing and I want to say where are they you know where are they seen where are the women that are doing so much mm-hmm. um, and coping with so much you know despite their um, diagnosis and cr- chronic unwellness at times um, mm. so that's definitely an avenue that I want to really look at um, yeah and also just recognizing that that 
that kind of we, we talk about it as non-human matter so the so the objects and the things and the stuff that you know that just you or I would recognize like for instance a you know a blood um, prescription you know you hear how we have to always have blood tests mm-hmm. when you're on um, certain drugs or whatever and for you or I when we see that it might invoke different emotions because we've got to think oh when am I going to be able to get that prescription done how am I going to fit that into my life I have to fast my morning dose or whatever that looks like so just that coming in the mail looking at that um, piece of paper invokes stuff in us so just looking at you know waiting rooms and notice boards and you know the things that sit in spaces that we uh, interact with a lot that makes us know that we have bipolar without saying I have bipolar Mm. kind of thing. So um, that's the thing I'm most interested to sit down with a group of women and just look at those things, Mm -hmm. you know, how we can all relate to um, different things. Mm. And I guess as part of that, Lucy, like your, like, a hospital like Hill Morton, like, yes, because that's huge. Yeah, that would have to be the biggest, like for yes. me, in terms of the biggest sort of thing on the landscape of things. Yes, being in hospital, yes. and for me, I wasn't there as long. Like I was there for a few weeks or maybe a couple of weeks, but um, then I went to the mothers and babies unit, which yes. was very different. But totally, Hill Morton yeah. is a hospital. A lot of people have a lot of memories and Definitely. huge feelings about yes. that hospital don't they Definitely. i'm just thinking locally here to where we live and yeah and you just think like the color of the carpet and the walls and you know i visited a friend there recently and went into the kitchen and there was nothing in the kitchen and there were locks on the doors and i sat there and thought what are those locks in the kitchen signifying, you know? Mm-hmm. Am I not trusted with a fish slice? Or, you yeah. know, like just those little things that has subtle meaning that you or I might pick up on, but somebody who's just visiting might think, oh, there's nothing in this space. That's interesting. Yeah. But, you know, it's just just interesting how, um, how things are put together in the mental health services you know, those typical posters that are on the walls and all that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, and whether that's welcoming or whether that's um, safe for people, might be, or whether it's, um, you know, ostracising, who knows? It'd be interesting to find out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm just in the early, so I've only just kind of got past my ethics, so I've got a lot to learn and a lot to know. And, um, yeah, yeah, so, Mm -hmm. yeah, I'm... I'm interested. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's intriguing. Sounds it. You were diagnosed with bipolar when as a young adult, yes. 17. Yes. I'm just thinking someone might be listening who might be of a similar age or, yes. or you know, youthful or maybe older. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they've got a diagnosis and they're feeling overwhelmed and lacking hope for the future. Yes. What would you say to someone like that who might be listening? Um, I think I would say... That, um, yeah, bipolar has been the worst and the best thing that has ever happened to me in my life. Mm. Um, it's shaped every decision that I have made about my career, whether I've acknowledged it or not, um, or about research, or about even how I support people, recognising that what it feels like to sit on the other side of a doctor's table or whatever. Um, mm. So for me, I would say to them that 
I probably didn't know that in those moments where I was really, really desperate, but it increased my empathy and it Mm. also, um, to understand that, it just takes retrospect and hindsight and time. Time is everything with bipolar, you know? When you're manic, time goes really fast. When you're depressed, time goes really slow. Mm -hmm. But in saying that, time is the one thing that gets you through it. And there's definitely been times in my life where that I have been like literally white knuckling it through every minute or Mm -hmm. hour or day. Um, And I felt absolutely awful about myself. But the only thing that really moves us through that is time, you know? So... As hard as it is to say, just hold on, I would say just hold on that next minute, that next hour, Mm. that next day, because this is going to shift and the way you look at this will shift Um, Mm. because it's not, you know, it's not a death sentence. It can be something that actually gives life. Yeah. You know, it is putting one foot in front of the other and trusting Mm. that it isn't going to always be how it is now. Definitely. And having those people who hope for you, who hold out that light for you um, and just walking with you through that. That's right. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Lucy, I think that's probably a good place for us to finish up our conversation. Yeah, sure. It's been so great to talk with you and I really appreciate you making the time to be able to do this. Oh, it's been wonderful, Bron. It's really, really cool to look back and reflect on this because, yeah, like I say, I'm not usually very open about my diagnosis, especially in work or whatnot. I don't usually talk about it, so it's nice to come in mm. and, and talk about it in a space that's so safe and good, yeah. Yeah, I mm. so value you doing that, Lucy. It's cool. Yeah, it's been yeah a real privilege to be able to hear you say what you've been sharing with others so yeah okay namahi friend thank you namahi thanks for listening to this episode i hope that you are encouraged if you know someone who could be helped by what you've heard please share this episode with them do subscribe if you haven't already and if you'd like to know more about episodes you can go to revivinghope.com life.